Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's July 18th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. For the first time in decades, actors in Hollywood have gone on strike. Negotiations between the Actors Union and the big studios broke down last week, and now everyone from top A-listers to background actors have joined already striking screenwriters on the picket lines. But this is not about multi-millionaires wanting a bigger pay packet. Big questions hang over this conflict about the future of the entertainment industry, from how content is delivered to the masses, to whether or not the people we see on screen are real or artificially created. On the front page today, New York Times entertainment reporter Brooks Barnes once again joins us from the picket lines in Los Angeles as Hollywood questions its future. Brooks, people hearing that actors have gone on strike are probably going to think immediately about the likes of Tom Cruise or Meryl Streep. But can you explain who exactly is on strike right now? Tom Cruise, Meryl Streep, (laughs) Uh, anyone who is a member of the Screen Actors Guild, which is known as SAG-AFTRA, and there are about 160,000 members. And so that is everyone from the tip top of the A-list to people who are just starting out and have maybe only ever done background work. What does the strike look like? What can and can't actors do right now? Well, they can't perform. They can't be in any TV show or movie behind a camera that's rolling. They can't publicize their movies that they've already finished making that are coming out now and TV shows too. And the festivals, which are going to be starting here, I think it kicks off in what Venice and Toronto, those are also big promotional stops. So basically filming and promoting the two big jobs of an actor. So we're talking about any film or TV show made by an American studio with an American cast is no longer filming. Correct. Does that also apply to those international shows? Because the likes of Netflix, for instance, has a huge swath of international programming also in its lineup. In some cases, it comes down to what what you mean by international. So Hollywood, of course, American studios film things around the world, London in particular, and New Zealand shows that incorporated American actors had to shut down. So things like, I'm thinking on the movie side, Twisters, the big sequel, Deadpool 3, Venom 3, The Next Mission Impossible, those are all filming overseas. The other part, though, is that there are a lot of, and you mentioned Netflix, a lot of international production companies that have nothing to do with American actors, and those will probably keep going, to be honest. Because we've gone over to streaming, all the formulas that used to make sense no longer do. And so now you're having actors and stunt performers and background artists and singers and dancers, all of whom are having to have second and third jobs. Basically, our careers have been turned into gig work. Brooks, what exactly is the conflict here? What do the actors want from the studios? There is a long list of things that they want. They negotiate every three years. The last negotiation was in 2020 at the during the pandemic. They said that they were very happy with the outcome of that, but the feeling is that there's pent-up demand for things. They couldn't really strike reasonably or put much pressure on last time. What they want boils down to pay. These are the contract minimums. Almost no one does a 
works for a contract minimum that you've heard of. Certainly not a name star. They all can negotiate bigger paydays. But the contract minimums, they want higher pay. In particular, they want more pay for residual payments or royalties for streaming shows. So if a show is very popular, let's say on Netflix around the world, they want a bigger payment than if it was just moderately popular or not popular at all. And they don't get that right now. And then secondly, the big sticking point is artificial intelligence, like the writers who are also on strike. Actors want guardrails, assurances, contractual promises that studios can't take their likeness without their approval and their compensation, or that, for example, a studio can't alter a performance using AI without their compensation or approval. Brooks, that actually reminds me of an episode of the Netflix show Black Mirror that aired only last month featuring a storyline where an AI-generated show was using Selma Hayek's likeness. They said that they were closing the pay gap. They are paying me one-tenth of what they're paying George Clooney. George Clooney is going to be in this show? No, they're sticking his head on a Thomas the Tank Engine reboot. How much are they paying you? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. That is so f***ed up. So despite AI seeming like this new hot thing, have these concerns been around for some time? We have been concerned, but around the edges. It's really only been in the last three months or so, I'd say, that, let's say this year, that that fear has really risen to the top and taken hold. Studios, I would point out, have, uh, un- they, they made it, as part of the proposal that the actors union turned down, studios did make an offer in terms of AI protections. The union said, you know, it wasn't close to being good enough, but it's notable that the studios offered anything because they did not do that with the writers. Has Hollywood ever been in a situation like this before, Brooks, with two unions striking at the same time? It's been a very, very, very long time. So you have to go back to when Marilyn Monroe was a star still. 1960 is the uh, last time there was a dual strike by actors and writers. Ronald Reagan was president of the Actors Union. The apartment was Best Picture. So you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. And the actors were holding out for more money in the form of residuals for movies shown on TV. How was that one resolved? It was messy, you know. Um, it's a little hard because <laughs> memories are short in Hollywood, you know. But it's important because it caused enough pain for those two unions and, and then by extension other unionized workers to make major changes in how they're compensated. 1960 action put the residual system as we have known it recently sort of in motion. It also created healthcare for the unions and pensions. Really, really important from a labor perspective. So they really pushed the dial towards better worker rights for those working in this industry. Yes, absolutely. The front page is the NZ Herald Podcast Network's daily news show. Thanks for choosing to spend your time with us and be sure to rate and follow us on iHeartRadio or whichever way you choose to stay in the know. Given that nothing is being filmed and these studios will start losing money eventually, why are they refusing to budge, Brooks? 
the companies say that there are too many other problems at the moment to give the unions what they want. So let's back up a second. Companies never want to give the unions what they want. Just like, okay, sure, these are your demands. Here you go. Let's write you a check, right? It's always a fight. The second thing, though, at the moment is never before has Hollywood as a business so challenged, in trouble, in crisis. Those aren't too big of words. The two big businesses in Hollywood, traditionally, box office and television channels, are both under severe pressure, right? The box office is still 20% down from what it was in 2019, even though we've had three years of recovery now. The television business is what really has floated these companies, uh, more than floated, you know, made them prosperous in the last two decades. That is now in free fall. So we've got a slowly dying business with box office, a fast dying business with television channels, and this salvation business, streaming, still not making money. So the jig is up, AMPTP. We stand tall. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. We are labor and we stand tall and we demand respect. And to be honored for our contribution, you share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. A lot of people have been surprised to learn that the star of the sitcom, the nanny Fran Drescher, is the head of the Actors' Union. And we've also seen some other big names put their hats out and in support yeah. of this action. There was an immediate impact here tonight at the premiere of Oppenheimer. We wanted to come out and talk about it because we're really proud of it and we worked really hard on it. And then if they call a strike, we'll go home. It's a huge deal for me to be here. It's also a huge deal for me to be in lockstep with all of my peers in my guild. Does that help the actors' cause to have these big names behind them? It definitely gives the actors a bigger megaphone. The media response in the United States, now that the actors have gone on strike, people are paying much, much, much more attention. We haven't seen big stars on picket lines. I mean, you know, big is always up for debate. You know, we saw people that are probably pretty expected, Susan Sarandon, people notable for their lefty politics. You know, we did not see Tom Cruise on a picket line. We haven't seen Jennifer Lawrence. I don't know what tomorrow and the next few days might hold, but that's a question. Given that most of these companies are publicly listed, are they putting their shareholders and turning a profit ahead of those who actually make the content that make them their money? It's a question about are they putting their shareholders ahead? Yes, probably. That's what they do, right? They have to put their business interests ahead of giving the artists what they want. At the same time, the companies know that they don't have anything without actors or writers. You know, that's their product. But they are publicly held companies that answer to shareholders and the CEOs answer to boards of directors. And so unlike in previous decades, where the studios were still really sort of private, not mom and pop, but certainly run more in a more familial way. These companies are a little hamstrung because they have to provide deals and compensation and all of that that keeps their lifeblood pumping, ultimately. Disney CEO Bob Iger has been criticized for saying that the demands from the unions are very disturbing. But he also criticized his own company for making too many Marvel TV shows. In our zeal to grow our content 
significantly to serve mostly our streaming offerings, we ended up taxing our people way beyond, in terms of their time and their focus, way beyond where they had been. Marvel's a great example of that. They had not been in the TV business at any significant level. Not only did they increase their movie output, but they ended up making a number of television series. And frankly, it diluted focus and attention. We've also seen a number of studios, including Disney, Paramount, and Warner Brothers, remove movies and series from their streaming services as tax write-downs. So after an explosion of content in recent years, are we now seeing studios pivot to, towards making less? And could these strikes exacerbate that problem? Not exacerbate so much as it could help the studios cut back. So go back to what we said before in terms of the business realities. Traditional television in the box office in trouble. The business that they hope will save them streaming still not making money. The reason it's not making money is that they've spent so much on this surge of content. So in the last six to eight months, they've started cutting back. They're not ordering as many TV shows. They're spacing out content more. They're looking toward overseas productions that are cheaper. And so part of the reason that the companies were not terribly upset for the writers to go on strike in May is that they're already slowing down production because they need to dramatically cut these costs to make the streaming profitable. Brooks, when we last spoke, you mentioned how the 2007 writer strike was resolved partially to allow the Oscars to go ahead as normal. The Emmy nominations were announced the day before the strike and the ceremony is scheduled for September. Could we see a resolution before that big night in TV? It's unlikely. So what is probably going to happen with the Emmys is they're already talking about postponing the ceremony, the winners, all of that into January. That immediately takes off a big pressure point. The Emmys are also not the Oscars. The movie stars still rule the day here. (laughs) (laughs) Books, there's always a bit of a lag when it comes to these things. So when do you think the public will start to notice that their Netflix watch lists and cinema schedules are getting a little dry on new listings? It's going to be a while. That's part of the reason that it's kind of hard to cover this kind of strike, right? Because you see, normally people go on strike, things stop happening immediately. That's been true in some cases, the late night talk shows here in the United States, for example. But movies are going to continue to come off of the assembly line. The release schedule for 2023 is basically all those movies are finished, at least through the acting stage. So what we're really looking at is 2024. What I've been told in my reporting is that if the actors don't have a deal by Labor Day, basically here at the end of August, beginning of September, that starts to force studios to delay projects in 2024. So you're starting to see movies, let's say for January or February, March, get pushed back by six months. That's notable because that starts to make the release schedule look a lot like, say, 2021 during the pandemic. Very sporadic, a ghost town on movie marquees, and that's damaging for the business. There's something almost poetic about Labor Day being the D-Day for the strike action. (laughs) Right. And Bastille Day being the day that the actors went on strike. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost as if it's been written, scripted. <laughs> you might say. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Brooks. 
that's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.